And if you're able, we'll see if we can stand as we read from Daniel chapter 7. Starting at verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the four beasts, uh, the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this a kingdom ten kings will arise and another will arise after them and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings he will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one and will intend to make alterations in times and in laws and they will be given into his hand for a time times and half a time but the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Let's pray. Our glorious Father, bless this, your word, that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us to understand and enable me to preach this, your word, and help us to be encouraged through the wonderful truth that our Christ reigns and that you have called us to reign with him. Help us in this, for we pray these matters in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated.
Maybe you never thought of yourself as the royal type. Maybe you say, well, I don't see myself ever being a, a ruler, maybe even a, a, an official in, here in Pineville, Louisiana, on the local level of government. But what's interesting is here is that in this text, there's a mention of the saints being granted the kingdom. And we'll see um, how this is brought out in the New Testament, that we rule and reign with Christ. As we prepare to look at this vision, um, we open up Daniel's vision by seeing that Daniel is kind of upset. It says here he's distressed. And what's, what's interesting is he's distressed at the beginning of our text, and he's, he's distressed at the end of our text. Look at those verses, verse 15 first. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And verse 28. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So Daniel gets distressed both in the beginning and the end of this vision. And we, we go back at the beginning of the chapter, in chapter 7. It says he's laying on his bed, and he has a vision. And then he, I guess when he woke up, it says he wrote down the dream. And he related the following and gave this, this vision. But it doesn't come out until now, until tonight's text, that Daniel is not alone in the vision. He actually has some, it's, it doesn't say one person, it says multiple individuals standing by him. Now look at verse 16. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So tonight, as we look at this text, verses uh, 17 to the, mostly to the end of this chapter, um, well, I'm sorry, to the end, at least to the end of verse uh, 17, 18, um, we're finding out that this is a great, uh, well, actually, to the, yeah, to the end of the chapter, it's, a, it's all really a interpretation given in large part by an angel to Daniel. We find the same thing going on in John with John in, in Revelation. Remember John, he sees an, a great multitude and he doesn't understand the vision. What's this? What's this great multitude doing here? Who are these? And basically he asks the angel and the angel's standing beside him and the angel says, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation who washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so we have a similar pattern here. John, in the book of Revelation, has an angel telling him, explaining things to him. Here we have Daniel getting a vision, and the angel explains things to him. But as we look at today's text, we'll look at the identity of the four beasts, spending a little bit of time extra on the fourth beast, but the identity of the four beasts... And then secondly, we'll look at the fourth beast falling to the sun, but not only falling to the sun, falling to the sun of God and 
the saints. So let's look at this first main point, the identity of the four beasts, verses 17 through 18. These great beasts, which are four in number, this is the words of the angel, these great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings, I would say rulers of empires, really, who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Now, if you want to know what verses 19 to almost the end of the chapter mean, you could summarize it in two verses, 17 and 18. So verses 17 and 18 are kind of like the cliff notes. You know, you get a book and you're, you're, I hope Hannah doesn't have to do this and doesn't do this. I hope you read the whole book, Hannah. But if you get an assignment in school and they say you got to do a writing assignment on a book and people don't want to read the whole book, they get the cliff notes and it's a little abbreviated version. And that way they, some people write their assignment from the cliff notes rather than the whole book. You could say verses 17 and 18 are like the cliff notes giving up a very brief summary of all what is, what is being revealed here. Four beasts, four kingdoms, or four kings, or rulers of empires, and they're going to arise from the earth, but then later on, the highest one will receive the kingdom, and, and then uh, the saints of the highest one, the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom, and they will possess the kingdom for all ages. That's the, that's the, the cliff notes. Okay, so let's get back to this. The four beasts. Um, we're not going to go back to, the, to read this section, but I'm going to give you a brief summary. The first beast is a winged lion, verse 4. It is parallel with the head of gold, which represented the Babylonian Empire. The bear, verse 5, um, represented the same as the, the breast and arms of silver, which is the empire of the Medes and Persians. The four-headed winged leopard, verse 6, is the same as the belly and thighs of bronze, which is the Greek empire, the, the Greek rule. And then lastly, the terrifying beast with iron teeth. Now we're giving uh, more details. Not only does he have ten horns, but he has claws of bronze. This is... Iron, this, uh, this is the same as the, the feet of iron and clay, which is Rome. So again, it's, it's parallel with the statue, the great statue that was in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. So the, the angel gave these, these summary notes in verses 17 and 18, but Daniel said, I really want to know more. I don't want the brief summary. I want the whole more detail, Okay. And that's what he, what he says here in verse 19. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. So then the angel then grants him his desire and it tells him more. He says in verse uh, 23, Thus he said, the angel said, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, 
which will be different from all the other kings or uh, kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. Hey, before we go further, keep in mind that in the beginning of this, in verse 17, he says, there are four in number, four beasts, which represent four kings. But here, verse 23, says the fourth beast, it'll be a fourth kingdom on the earth. So I think it's better to understand it as kingdom here because the kingdom or the rule or the empire of Rome was one having ten horns, and almost everyone agrees that if you take this interpretation, the ten horns are like the emperors, ten emperors. Okay, so um, let's turn to see a parallel passage. Keep your place in Daniel, but let's turn to see a parallel passage in Revelation 13. you find this very similar. Revelation 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. The dragon here represents the, the devil, but the beast, I believe, here is again Rome. Revelation 13, verse 1. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Okay, the reason why it's mentioned here seven heads is because Rome was considered a city of seven hills. Okay, let's continue with verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, uh, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast." And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act, for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme the name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven." It was also given to him to make war with the saints, to overcome them, and to have authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has ear an ear to hear, let him hear. Okay, it's a lot there, but keep in mind, I was doing some studying in a, a book from uh, Dr. Kenneth Gentry, 
and it's called He Shall Have Dominion. He mentions the blasphemous worship of the emperors of Rome. It's kind of like the same thing that goes on that, that Japan had during World War II. They had emperor worship. And he gives a quote of this, citing an old historian um, named Dio, I believe his name was. But anyway, this uh, Dio Cassius. This historian, this historian mentions, this historian mentions that as Nero is approaching and entering the city, they're saying to him, Augustus, Apollo, they're calling him Apollo, like one of the Greek gods. They're worshiping Nero as God. And then, then Gentry ends up saying that, if you look here, and it mentions 42 months given to him. That was the length of time, according to Dr. Gentry, that was the length of time of the Roman persecution in which under Nero was given for persecuting and killing Christians, 42 months. All right, so getting back to uh, Daniel 7. Turn back to Daniel 7. Dan, Daniel was unsettled further about the beast, verses 20 and uh, following. He wants to know a little bit more, and the angel gives him more detail, but Daniel's asking, he's, he's wondering this in, in verse 20 and following. He wants to know more about the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth, uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Highest One, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Skipping to verses 24 through 25, we'll see further interpretation given by the angel. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the Most High. Okay, key things to take from here is that this beast... And these kings, representing ten horns, some of them will be waging war against the saints. If you, if you, again, if you take a look at Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, during the early church, Rome was vehemently opposed and was persecuting, you could say here, wearing down, waging war against the saints, and even at times, overpowering them. Now, okay, so you might... You, the difficult question then is, which emperor was it? Was it only Nero? Well, it, persecution wasn't only in, under Nero. It was under other emperors as well. Um, some, um, some historians uh, note that those who were speaking things against the Most High, <laughs> which one do you isolate down? I mean, a lot of these men spoke against the Most High God. 
Um, I, I did read one thing about Titus when he did enter the temple, and they remember Rome in 70 AD destroyed the temple, and then Titus enters the temple and spoke horrible, blasphemous things and committed horrible, blasphemous acts against the God of heaven when he entered the temple. Okay. I think there's a benefit in understanding the beast as Rome. Because a lot of times, when you look at Revelation, you have to keep in mind, in the beginning of Revelation, he mentions, John the Apostle mentions that many of the things in that book would shortly come to pass within a generation. And that is fulfilled to a great degree in the, in the fulfillment of Revelation um, 13 and following concerning the, the sacking of Rome in 70 AD. Okay, but let's look next at how this fourth beast falls to the Son of God and to the saints. Verse 26. But the court will sit for judgment and his dominion, that's the fourth beast's dominion, will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. I think it's fantastic that the beast is not ruling forever, but his, his rule, his dominion, is being taken down and annihilated and destroyed forever. But who's going to take his place? Who's going to take the kingdom in the stead of this beast? Verse 27. Then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Okay. Now, you might say, well, Kevin, we just read all this text, and there's no mention of the Son of Man. Where's the Son of Man here? Well, you have to go back a little bit in verse 13 and 14. It says, I kept looking in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Okay, so you have that in verse 14, the kingdom, the kingdom and the dominion given to the Son of Man. But in today's text, the dominion given to the saints of the Most High. So who's the dominion given to? Is it given to the saints of the Most High or is it given to the Son of Man? The answer is both. The answer is both. And this will be the last passage we turn to, but I want us to look at 2 Timothy 2. This is a fantastic, beautiful truth in the New Testament about us reigning with Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Starting in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, 
I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Talks about us ruling and reigning with Christ. You have to go back to Genesis and you have to ask, well, what was Adam given to this earth to do? He was given to this earth to make dominion, to take dominion upon the whole earth. But because of the fall, Adam and Eve, um, because of the fall, our first father failed and he brought us all into an estate of sin and misery. And he brought death and sorrow and the curse and failure, sin, into the world. Doesn't look like ruling and reigning, does it? But through Christ, even now in this earth, we are called to take dominion. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether we eat and drink, whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. In your work doing your work to the glory of God. In your leisure, in your eating, in everything, doing all to the glory of God, taking dominion. Now you might say to yourself, well, you know, in my job, in my occupation, I don't see myself taking, I don't see how I'm taking dominion for Christ. I'm just making a paycheck and going home. Well, Christians are called to take dominion in whatever occupation they are given and to seek to make this world a, you could say, a bring the kingdom of, of Christ, like as we pray in the, uh, in the, in the, our Father, we pray that the kingdom of heaven may come on earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of Christ. But the greatest fulfillment of this. The greatest fulfillment of this, of us ruling and reigning with Christ, is in the new heavens and new earth. And there will be a time where God will restore paradise upon the earth, where, where we will no longer have any sin, where we will no longer have any sorrow, where we will rule and reign in that great and new dominion, where there will be heaven on earth. And that'll be the greatest, the greatest restoration of this call that like it's mentioned in, in 2 Timothy 2, that we will rule with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. Brothers and sisters, do you believe in this Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And whatever you do, and whatever work you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward of inheritance, because you will rule and reign with Christ here on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray that you would help us Help us to honor you. Help us to exalt our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to love you, to love your word, 
We thank you for the promises in your scripture that we will rule and we will reign even with our blessed Lord Jesus. We thank you that the kingdom has been granted to the saints, an everlasting kingdom. And you, we pray that you would help us, that we would worship and serve you in a way that is fitting subjects of that kingdom. For we ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, we will stand and sing when we're able, um, 219, O Worship the King.